Let's dive right into today's story. These are the words of Jesus, like Jeff was saying. Remember, Jesus was a master teacher. And so uh, here we go, Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went again at noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why, are you, why have you been here standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you go also and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each one received a denarius. So when they came, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But Jesus answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I will give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now the thing with parables that I've been thinking about is that they are given within a context that everyone in that day would have understood the context, but you and I sitting here together 2,000 years later, there's certain things about the context we don't get. And we can miss a powerful part of the story because we don't get what it was like 2,000 years ago. So I was trying to think of a parable I could tell today that in a thousand years or two thousand years, they would read it and they would miss the context. So I've constructed my own modern day parable to make this point. So listen closely. Now again, these are not the words of Jesus. The kingdom of this broken world is like a leader who one day had a cell phone and a Twitter account. In order to communicate to the millions, he would tweet his displeasure and his thoughts to those who followed him. One day, he even reposted an old video to describe a relationship with some news networks. And this raised a lot of questions and comments from those who followed him and those who did not. Are you with me? Do I have your attention? Are you irritated or inspired already? Are you wondering what comes next? What's Dave going to say? What side is he going to take? Yeah. All of you know this situation. Now, a thousand years or two thousand years from now, if you were reading this parable, there would be powers in it that would be missed. Jesus did this often. Sometimes he used stories or examples that would have tickled some leaders and offended others and deeply offended them. And he, he did dangerous things in his storytelling. At this point, in my parable today, I stopped. 
because I don't want this to be about any leader. I stopped because I cannot teach like Jesus did, and I didn't know how to bring home the point about this broken world. I stopped because Orchard, we've chosen not to make political statements, but to keep our focus on biblical truth. I stopped because I was in dangerous territory, and I don't do as well in dangerous territory as Jesus did. I stopped, that's all I have in the parable. But the thing about the parables is that Jesus didn't stop. Right when he got everyone in his hand, then he clinched it really strong. And what they understood was powerful. And he didn't care if he offended people. And like Jeff was saying, one-third of Jesus' words he gave in parables. There were 40 full parables and 20 mini-parables in the New Testament. And people got what he taught because he was culturally uh, colorful and relevant, and uh, they affected the greatest minds and the simplest thinkers. So now let's go back to the parable, and let's take a look at it. Starting with verse 20, we have a slide. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. These workers, listeners, would have known, yep, Jesus, we're with you. This is how it works. People get hired at 6 a.m. in the morning. They get hired for a 12-hour workday. And um, the person who hires them enters into a contract with them and tells them exactly what they're going to get. So they're going to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they're going to earn a denarius, which would be a normal amount of money for a day's physical labor. Simple contract. This made sense to the audience. They would have been tracking with Jesus. Now, here's the clincher you might not know. That as soon as Jesus said the word vineyard, it had a double meaning. There's a spiritual Old Testament presence that his, most all of his audience would have known that the vineyard is the people of God. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. The vineyard are the chosen ones. So the master went and he hired chosen ones. That These were spiritually chosen. So they know he's talking about a vineyard with grapes and they also know he's talking about the people of God. And they're saying, where do I fit in the story? And the, and the Jewish leaders are saying, hey, we're the all-day workers. We just got hired. God gave us something really important to do. And the Gentiles in the group, they're going, boy, I wish I could have been hired for the vineyard, but I'm not hired for the vineyard. That's all going on in their heads. Let's go to the next verse. About nine in the morning, the master, the owner, went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Wait, this is different. Owners of vineyards don't do this. Owners of vineyards don't go out several times a day. They go at 6 a.m. in the morning. They hire all the workers they need for the day, and they're done. So everyone's going, whoa, this owner's a little different. He went at 9 in the morning to see who needed to be chosen. You also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. Oh, the owner doesn't tell them what they're going to make. They have to trust. So the audience is going, whoa, this is a different kind of situation. I've not been hired like this before. So he went out again at noon and at three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing uh, here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. No one chose us. And he said to them, you also go to work in my vineyard. And the audience would be going, stop, stop. If you're the owner, 
you can't be doing this. You can't operate a successful vineyard this way. You can't go at five in the afternoon and hire some people for one hour. Jesus had put the owner in a different kind of category. They didn't know owners like this. Owners don't do this. They hire what they need at the beginning of the day and they go to their office and they don't hire anyone else. So that's how it works. Here the master hires a group of workers throughout the day. Striking difference. Now, notice this. The last four groups of those hired formed a different kind of relationship with the owner. The first group hired had a contract. The last four groups hired was based on trust. Trust. Because they didn't know what they were working for nine or six or three or one hours for. They didn't know what they were going to get paid. So there was a high degree of trust. They assumed the amount would be less than a day's wage, less than a denarius. And the final group hired for one hour, they thought, well, maybe at least I'll get enough for a loaf of bread for my family. Now comes the second half of the story. Do you see? Just reading this thing, you can miss the power. You can miss the need. You can miss the urgency. Now, here comes the second part of the story. Oh, my. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. That's normal. Beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. This is absolutely not the way it was done. This was a shocking surprise. The way that was traditional and the way it always worked was whoever worked the longest, whoever started at the earliest, they come first in line, they get paid, they get to go home first. And this owner says, no, we're going to flip the, we're going to flip the order. We're going to pay the ones who worked for an hour first. Verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. How do you think they were feeling? Shocked. Unbelievably celebrating. In fact, I think some of them thought the owner made a mistake. It's like he's going to want some of this money back. I didn't work all day. I worked, I worked just one hour. I should be getting one-twelfth of a denarius. But on the way home, they're just like jumping and cheering and going, yes. So when those who came that were, and, and then they paid each of them a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they'd been standing in line. They had been watching. They were shocked by how the owner was so generous. And they were thinking, we're going to get more. We're going to get more. If you work for an hour and you get a denarius, then I work for like 12 hours. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. I get this response in them. I get it. If I'm in line and I've been working 12 hours, I'm probably thinking the same thing. And how does the owner answer? This is important. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Didn't we have a contract? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Then Jesus underscores the meaning he's trying to get at when he says, the first shall be last 
and the last shall be first in my kingdom. Now, what's the point? What's the point Jesus is trying to make? The first thing to be said is this is not an example of how normal compensation packages should work in the workplace. No. Jesus is not talking about how you set up your business and the kinds of contracts you enter into. This is not an HR principle. Those who work more and carry more weight in general ought to be getting more money. That's good management. No, this is about the kingdom of God. This is about who does the owner welcome into his life, his kingdom? Who does he invite in to, um, uh, to get his constant presence and power and care? Who gets to be washed in God's love? Who? And the answer is anyone who responds and trusts the master. Anyone. Thieves, prostitutes, tax collectors, disobedient servants, people who others pass over, people who are late to the party. This is wonderful news for you and me. We're invited by the master to the vineyard. Any of us. Any of us who come into the square and we're looking for a job, we're invited into the vineyard by the master to do something important for him. Now there's an important secondary message here. One of the things Jesus often did in his stories was he wanted people to identify with somebody in his story, some group. So who did you identify with? Are you someone who sleeps in a lot? <laughs> you identified with the noon or the three o'clock or the five o'clock person? Or are you someone who's been in the church serving forever? And you said, I know who I am. I'm the 6 a.m. guy. I've been working in the vineyard all this time. I think that's who the scribes and Pharisees who were sitting in front of Jesus identified with. I think maybe some of the disciples of Jesus identified with the all-day workers. And when they saw themselves standing in line behind the lake covers, they felt the resentment of the workers. Why do they get what I got? In fact, maybe they resented the master. They resented his grace and his love. And they maybe even resented their very lives. I've heard actual followers of Jesus resent the thief on the cross. When his last breath, Jesus invited him to, king, to the kingdom of heaven. I've heard people resent that. Why gave my whole life? Why does he get invited? So there are two groups of people in the story. There's the performance-based Christ followers, the 6 a.m. all-day workers who are under contract with God. They've signed up for a long time. They think maybe God is getting a pretty good deal at having them as a follower. Their sins are a little more under control than some others. They avoid the outward major sins. They write checks to God's work. They work pretty hard for him. I was thinking, that's Lynn and I. When we were in college, we gave our hearts to God, and we like been following him our lifetime. And, and we've done things to serve him. We've wanted to. We've carried responsibilities and worked in the heat of the day. And sometimes those people come to expect preferential treatment. Is that you? Do you think maybe because you've served God well for some years, you get preferential treatment? They have a lesson to learn. And the lesson to learn is this, that grace is a gift, and it's always a 100% gift. We never earn it. Never. The second group of people are the grace-based Christ followers. The 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock folks. These folks are very clear. 
they got more than they deserved from the owner. They said to themselves, we don't deserve God's love, power, presence, and care in our lives. They simply trust God and he gives them grace and they're seized by joy. They're saved by grace. They live in grace. Every day that they get to work in the vineyard for one, three, five, seven, twelve hours, doesn't matter. It's a gift. They get to work. Now, here's uh, one thing. Uh, the performance-based Christ followers, as they relate to the master and their world, they uh, end up having three spirits or attitudes. I just want to name for a minute. The first one is, sometimes they have a complaining and grumbling spirit. Verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. So if you're a performance-based Christian, you're going to find yourself grumbling. Inward and outward. Kind of in a chronic negative mode. Joy-challenged. These people can be religious leaders and they can be toxic to Christ's church. Do you ever get there complaining and grumbling? I had a second surgery a couple weeks ago. I had a first surgery in January, then a couple weeks ago I had a second surgery. And uh, the first three days I was home, like, I was tremendous. I was, like, doing way too much. I was feeling like, man, I can do this. I was walking, I was, like, sneaking in some hours of work and all this after this surgery. And the doctor, who might be in this room, (laughs) I, uh, reinterpreted his instructions to me. Or he'll say, I misinterpreted them. Uh, And then after three days, we had a house full of folks, and my body just said, you're done, Dave. You are done. You're going to go to bed for two days, and you're barely going to move because you've stretched too much. And so I was laying in bed because I had done too much, and my body had stopped me. And you know what I thought about? What a gift our bodies are. What a gift they are. That you can get up this morning and walk out to the car and enjoy and feel the sun. And what a gift our bodies are that we can have energy and play with our grandkids, play with our children. What a gift. And uh, if my heart were right, I would feel like this and remember this every single hour of every day of my entire life. But I only remembered it when I was flat on my back in bed. And so the antidote for this grumbling is the practice of noticing and paying attention to the gifts God gives you. So if you feel grumbly this morning, take one step back and notice the gifts God has given you. Pay attention to them. Second thing we see in the, in the parable for these uh, workers that were uh, performance-based is to the spirit of resentment and envy. The master says, are you envious because I am generous? The antidote for resentment and envy is and envy is to receive the full love of God, to actually feel loved by God. That'll crush envy. That'll crush resentment. As I look back on the last two years with our family, and we've had lots of challenges uh, two years ago and then since, one of the things I've been striving for is to refeel the love of God. Every day I knew he loved me. Every day. The day after our tragedy, the day after my surgery, the day before. I I knew, I knew he loved me. But what I had lost was the feeling that he loved me. And so I've been like working on getting that back, that feeling. And it takes time. And we have to ask him for that. And some of you who've been, been in deep pain or faced tragedy, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you can still believe, but not feel it. 
And so what we need to do is uh, get back to the point where we feel that love. Take some time with God and, uh, alone and feel that love. Uh, Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors, tells the story of a priest meeting a peasant in the countryside years ago. And the peasant was so upbeat. And the priest asked, and the peasant, uh, asked him, why are you so upbeat? Yes, well, God is very fond of me. The priest said, good answer. If you uh, saw the movie The Shack or read the book The Shack, which has some good theology in it, maybe not so good theology, but has some good ones. Remember what God the Father, who was a black woman, actually said over and over again? I'm very fond of him. I'm very fond of her. Until uh, the guy finally says, is there anyone you're not very fond of? Nope. I'm very fond of each. Number three thing we see in those people who are performance-based, the spirit of judgment and martyrdom. Verse 12, you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like a martyr? These folks strategically drop hints to those around them that want to know that they're a martyr. The antidote we need is a change of heart. So if you feel like a martyr in your life or in your work in the church, uh, it doesn't go a good place. And so the antidote for that is, uh, what you might want to do is try a change of some change of where you're serving. Uh, you might want to ask God for joy instead of martyrdom. Uh, maybe you need to uh, ask God to help you identify your gifts a little better. Those would be the antidotes. Final question. Who's the hero of this story? It's the owner of the vineyard. It's God. He's the hero. It's amazing how Jesus paints his father. The owner who doesn't hire everyone he needs at 6 a.m. and then go sit in his office all day. He comes back at 9 and at 12 and at 3 and at 5. Because what? He's not willing to give up on people. He never gives up on people. He always pursues people. So if you have a loved one who's out there a ways, maybe turned his back on God, the one thing you can know about the Father is he's still after him. If you have turned your back on God a little bit or you're desperately trying to feel God's love again, there's one thing you can know about God. He's pursuing you. He's coming to the town square over and over and over again during the day. All the way till there's just one hour left. That's something for a God. That's something. I'll pray. Dear God, thank you so very much. So very much that you are the kind of God who never gives up who keeps coming over and over and over and over again, who pursues us, who pursues those we pray for, who pursues those we love, who pursues those who are in sin, like us. And Father, the Father even loved, you even loved those who came at six in the morning, worked all day, and had a bad attitude and were grumbling. You even loved them. So thank you. Thank you for this story that Jesus told. 
And uh, Father, we pray that uh, in a powerful way, we could uh, sense your presence as we sing these two songs, but even more as we uh, leave this building and go out into your beautiful sunshine. Could we sense your presence and your love and your power and your care today? Could we sense that we've been invited to the vineyard? In Jesus' name, amen.